0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. This is part two of my conversation with Sarah Ellis, co-founder of Amazing If, and author of The Squiggly Career Book. It's a book about playing to your strengths, discovering your values, overcoming confidence gremlins, and building better support networks. If you haven't already, go back and listen to part one with Sarah before you continue. It's all about embracing a squiggly career, explaining what it is and why it seems most of us are saying goodbye to the outdated notion of the career ladder. I really like this quote from the first episode. She says, spend 80% of your time making your strengths stronger and spend 20% mitigating your weaknesses so that you're just good enough. I think so many of us try and be good at absolutely everything, and it's just not possible. So I really like what she was saying there. So this is part two, and we talk about overcoming the confidence gremlins that sit on our shoulders, and Sarah opens up about how motherhood fits into the squiggly career from her perspective. It was amazing hearing all about it in full detail. So thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on and being so honest and open, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go and leave a rating or a review on iTunes it really really helps podcasters so thanks again and here it is can we talk a little bit about confidence because there's an amazing chapter in the book (laughs) and um, you and Helen both talk about confidence gremlins yes and um, that was I I really like that even though you're both like career gurus you you kind of talk personally yes, about yeah, your own struggles in the book, which is which is always nice to get to know the authors a bit more. <laughs> so, um, yeah, could you talk a little bit about that phrase and also yeah. how knowing what that specific gremlin is can help you? So
1: confidence gremlins are essentially the things that hold you back. They're the things that get in the way from doing things that you want to do. And that's sort of how they're different from weaknesses. So weaknesses are things that we're just not very good at, some of which you can definitely ignore, some of which, as we talked about, you want to get good enough at confidence gremlins I think tend to be more deep-rooted deep-seated assumptions Mm. about things that we think are true and, and we do usually genuinely think that they are true about ourselves but the problem is then they get in our way they get in the way from applying for jobs that we like to do we'd really like to do taking on opportunities that are actually really important to us so it's so it's so valuable if you can work on caging your confidence gremlins. I never think they disappear, and we'll kind of talk a bit about, maybe we'll talk about one of mine in a minute. So I don't think they ever just go completely, because I think we're all human. But I do think it is possible with concerted effort over time taking lots of small actions to cage these gremlins so they don't get in the way and they can be things like often they are you know imposter syndrome is a really common one fear of failure fear of not being smart enough fear of public speaking uh senior people sometimes people really freeze when they've kind of got senior they're absolutely fine until a senior person works in the room and then they just say they completely freeze and we all have them. I think that's so important to remember. And um, with all the different people I spent time with in my career, everybody, when I get to know them, has confidence gremlins. It's just that you can't always see them. You know, the kind of swan analogy. Often people look quite swan-like, but underneath there is definitely mm. the kind of people paddling quite quickly. And we all have these insecurities because cause we are only human. So if you are looking at somebody who just seems incredibly confident, I can guarantee... It's just that you can't see their confidence gremlin, but it will be there. It will def- And they've hopefully just worked on it to the point where, you know, perhaps people can't necessarily spot it straight away. So I think with confidence gremlins, the first thing to think about is what are the things that do hold you back? Often you can spot them where you don't take action, but you would actually have liked to and you get a bit frustrated. So mm. one of my confidence gremlins um, is a fear of conflict. So... I, my ideal world, um, no one ever really disagrees. <laughs> I really like everyone just getting on all the time. How are you dealing with Twitter these days? Yeah. Actually, I've kind of gone... I quite enjoy Twitter again now. so I've <laughs> come back full circle on it. But yeah, Twitter at its worst is my worst case scenario. Like, I don't really even like being in rooms where other people are disagreeing and it's not even with me. As in, they're having right. a conversation. That's how much I don't like it. Now, I know rationally that people having different points of view is really valuable. Because actually different points of view get you to better answers and you need to hear different perspectives. So rationally, you know that's a good thing. And rationally, I also know that the jobs that I've done in the past and the jobs I wanted to do, I needed to be confident enough to be able to disagree with people and to be able to express my points of view and the points of view of maybe my team or the teams that I was leading. So straight away you can see how if I don't get comfortable with being able to disagree or having kind of disagreements with people I'm not gonna be able to apply for the jobs that I want to do not kind of have the gravitas and presence that I need and also I used to come away from those meetings feeling so frustrated because once you know what your gremlins are you can start to spot the triggers and then what you what your kind of reaction is so my reaction is because I'm introverted I become more introverted. So essentially, I just stop talking (laughs) and I completely Mm. withdraw from conversations. And also, probably more importantly, I stop listening. So I'm so panicky about the conflict that I get, you know, I'm getting really hot and sweaty. And I'm just thinking, I don't want to be here. It's really awkward. Yeah, so this whole like internal narrative is going on in your head. And then you'll come out and you'll think of that conversation. You'll think, I've got no idea what anyone was saying by the end because I just felt so uncomfortable and you then get really frustrated because you probably did have a point of view to share but you couldn't you you kind of lost yourself out of the conversation and some people or hopefully lots of people will be listening and thinking oh that's not my confidence gremlin which is great you don't want more (laughs) because they're all they're kind of there's some common ones but you experience them in a way that is unique to you yeah so other people might also have a confidence gremlin around conflict their reaction might be the exact opposite to mine they might go really kind of attacking (laughs) you know actually get overly aggressive and it's not because they are overly aggressive it's because they don't like conflict and they their response to that is to go to attack whereas I go with withdraw so I think once you can spot what triggers them for you you can spot what what happens in terms of your behavior and think about what you might choose to do differently and I think the big thing with gremlins is getting them out of your head and into the real world because essentially, the assumptions you're making, the assumptions I was making, really, if you start to really ask yourself why, is that confidence gremlin around conflict means that if I disagree with people, people are not going to like me. That's really the root cause. Right. I wonder how many of the answers is that is to do with being liked yeah. or not liked. And so you're usually you're making, there's the kind of this, um, I would say, with a confidence gremlin, when you get to your first one, keep asking yourself why until you kind of run out of whys. Uh, and it helps you to get to the root cause of what what is the real gremlin kind of lurking below the surface. Mm. And for me, it was, oh, if I disagree with Emma, Emma's not going to like me anymore. And most people like, you know, that's a really natural reaction. You want to be liked, even though rationally you get that you can still be respected and disagree with people and you can still like people and disagree with them but there's something kind of inherent in me that was saying you can't possibly do that so I think one of the things that we encourage people to do in the book actually is to draw your confidence gremlin is somehow to like bring them to life get them out of your head onto a bit of paper you don't need to be a good drawer just like have a go at sketching something make it an object, make it an animal and then try to spot where it shows up the most at work at the moment for most of us it's not Universal. We think they are. We think they're massive, but I started to realise actually for me where I struggled with conflict was where I wasn't expecting it. So actually, if I was prepared, I was okay. But if I wasn't expecting it, I really struggled. Caught off guard. Yeah, caught off guard. I I really froze. I mean, I've got some like funny stories of literally I just almost completely (laughs) shut down (laughs) in meetings. Or actually, if people were particularly emotional, I also found that hard. So I was like, oh okay, I could start to get a bit more specific. So I was like, right really emotional or wasn't ready for it and what that meant was then in those moments I could think almost make an overly concerted effort to stay present in those conversations and the way that I did that in a very kind of simple way was to ask questions so I am never going to be debater of the year far from it but the way to stay in that conversation for me was just to go really into kind of understanding mode so just ask somebody questions like oh I'd not thought of that before could you explain that to me a little bit more or that's a really interesting perspective, and really just go into like very present, curious listening. Mm. And I just found that as a tactic just meant that I stayed in the conversation, that actually it meant that I could still express my point of view. And I could sometimes use my point of view as a question and say, Oh, I'd thought maybe we would consider this. Does that not feel like a useful thing? Or like, tell me why you don't think that would be useful, and almost not try to be attacking. So I think if you try to do something that's really against your natural kind of authentic personality it's
0: a very very hard Mm. thing to do because i wonder as well if it's like some people are very good visual communicators some people like things in writing some people are very good at like you know verbally coming back with like a really good answer because i i think mine is feeling out of the loop or feeling like i don't know what's going on yeah um so if i'm like cc'd into an email like you know it's a massive thread and i suddenly feel like i don't know what's going on yeah i can get very snappy Okay. And if someone calls me and updates me, I almost feel like it hasn't gone in. And I'm like, can you just put that in an email? Like, I'm very kind of like, <laughs> I'm very, I'm a very, I need, I need to read it in, in words. Like, okay. and I need like bullet points.
1: And so what, what's your fear, do you think? So let's imagine... The um, fear is
0: probably just like um not kind of kind of similar to being caught off guard not knowing yeah, like, maybe not
1: knowing enough or not feeling in control
0: yeah it's a control is thing, it control i reckon
1: yeah because that that actually is quite a common one of people going the reason you probably want it in writing is that it probably helps you to feel in control yeah and then the probably the fear that sits below that is going oh well if i'm out of control perhaps i won't like do a good job yes You
0: know, almost like you can understand the spiralling implications. But it's weird, isn't it, that we need certain communication in certain ways. Like, for example, me reading a document makes me feel super organised. But if someone someone told me in a meeting what was happening, I would feel totally spirally.
1: Yeah. It's weird. And I think anything you can do to also understand how people are reacting to what you think is reality can be really helpful. For example, I think with your confidence gremlins, you often think they are real. But when you test them with other people, you realise people are having a really different experience to you. So the thing that happened for me, which was a really pivotal moment in my confidence gremlins, probably about eight years ago, and I came out of a meeting and I was with a really good friend. And I was like, I was basically whinging. I was complaining. I was like, that was an awful meeting. Everyone was disagreeing. So much conflict. I was like, I feel so tense. And I was like, it was a nine out of 10 on the conflict scale or something like that. And we were just getting a cup of tea. And he was like, oh, I thought it was OK. I was like, are you joking and he was like no I'd rather people have the conversation in the room um I thought it was all very constructive and actually I quite enjoyed hearing different people's point of view right and I was like it honestly made me stop in my tracks because until that moment you assume that your experience is a shared experience and it's not because it's your confidence gremlin and so I will always be grateful to my friend at that moment for basically pointing out That my experience wasn't the same as everybody else's. But also I think there's a tendency sometimes to blame your gremlins on others. And I think I had gone, oh, it's their problem. They're not communicating in the right way. This is their issue. It's not mine. And not taking accountability and ownership for it myself. Mm. Actually, everyone else was doing a really good job and was agreeing in a very constructive, useful way. Not having, you know, not having all those extra conversations that are really unhelpful it was just that because I find it hard I again you make so many assumptions so I think so interesting that like it is it's it's a reminder
0: that I mean it's kind of obvious when you think about it but I don't think about it enough that every single day you're having experiences that are so different from other people's in your own head
1: yeah and I think sometimes if you're worried about those or you feel like they're holding you back having the confidence again to be able to ask other people to be able to say oh I'm feeling a bit out of control here or it worries me a bit that we've not done this is that worrying you and it's amazing when someone comes back and goes oh no because we're doing this in a week's time and then you'll get this document and then you think oh well I've been panicking (laughs) yeah you know basically and using up I think you use a lot of mental energy either worrying or reflecting or you know thinking about this stuff And sometimes as simple as, you know, asking some good questions, recognizing when it's happening can just release you, I think, from these confidence gremlins that the reason I think it's such a shame if these things like get in your way, because often they do stop people, um, you know, being ambitious in some of the jobs that they would like to do, or maybe taking the leap into something that really matters to them, perhaps asking for the um, four days a week flexibility that they really want. Often when you chat to people, it's a confidence gremlin that's getting in the way of something they know they really want and probably would be really good at Mm. and actually kind of making it, making it happen. Yes, it's so, so
0: true. There is a bit in the book that I wanted to bring up because I thought it was really interesting in terms of squiggly careers, but in terms of when, like, a personal life thing or a life decision makes it even more squiggly. So you talk about <laughs> maternity leave yes. and when you had your first child. Yep. I really think it's important to talk about because it feels like there isn't a one-size-fits-all, of course, but it can make things even squigglier, can't it? It can. So do you mind just telling a bit about your story, like what happened and, and how yeah, you course. kind of made it work? Or not, as a case may be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of ways. So... Yeah, I've got um, one little boy
1: called Max, he's two and a half now. And I was working at Sainsbury's at the time and was eight months pregnant, was very much planning to go on maternity leave and come back to Sainsbury's. Big restructure, not uncommon in big companies or small companies. And during that process, I had to do a big restructure of my team, but also it meant that my job didn't exist anymore in the same kind of way. And so, you know, very much took control and decided right thing for me to leave at that point. But absolutely not what i had been, not what I've been planning to do. But um decided at the time it was the right decision. So I went on maternity leave, had Max, quite a traumatic kind of birth experience, had an emergency C-section. He then had something called acid reflux, which meant that not really serious, but it meant he was sick a lot. It also meant he cried a lot and it meant he didn't sleep mm-hmm. very much. So, you know, all quite full on. And honestly, after two weeks at the time, my partner, Tom, he uh, had to go back to work after two weeks. So like, financially, we needed him to go back to work. And I just remember thinking, oh, I'm really jealous. Like, I wish I was going back to work. And then thinking, oh, yeah, but I haven't got a job anymore, so I can't, Mm. so I can't. (laughs) Which was almost ironic. You know, it was almost like, oh, OK, I sort of want to switch places. I definitely don't want to be left with this screaming kid who seems to hate me quite a lot. And then definitely had quite a tough sort of two or three month period where I think we talked about work being such a big part of people's identity for me it definitely was whether it was almost kind of my day job but also some of the side projects i was doing we've been building up amazing if and lots of my friends have come through work and my social life is through work and all that really disappeared overnight, really, really mm. quickly. And I think your world can get very small very quickly on maternity leave, particularly if you have a child where it's hard to go out and about. Mm. I mean, the naivety now, I sort of imagined, I was like, oh, be brilliant, I'll just sort of go for walks in the park and just read loads of books. I did the occasional walk in the park, I did not read any books. And that's why I imagined, mater- and actually I know some people who genuinely had had maternity leaves where... They could do mm. those things, but that wasn't um, my experience.
0: And also, it's like really nice. Uh, it's refreshing to hear someone openly be like, "Yeah, work was a massive part, and still is a massive part yeah, of so my I went identity. Back to work. <laughs> because sometimes I, there, I don't know if it's me feeling paranoid because I definitely see myself as that person. But sometimes there's a, there's a stigma of like, "Oh, you love your work." It's like, "Yeah, I do." Yeah, like I really love it. <laughs> way more than him
1: when he was a baby. Like crikey, uh, he was a nightmare initially. And I think for me. I think the other thing that I found really hard was just feeling actually quite lonely and really kind of disconnected from things. And the guilt of, um, you know, we tried quite hard to have Max. It wasn't something that happened overnight. You know, it took kind of 18 months, a couple of years. So you feel like you should be incredibly grateful. Mm. And that's actually mentally quite a hard thing to kind of resolve in your own mind of going, you know that you're fortunate. And that he was absolutely a very wanted baby. And then I sort of got him and thought, mm, I'm not sure I actually do want him that much, you know, now. And like I say, wasn't, wasn't enjoying it. And I think it was really hard for my partner to probably see me really struggling, really not feeling very confident in myself, really not feeling very confident looking after Max at all. Like, I, I felt every day... Uh, I've never, ever clock-watched at work, but I clock-watched every day when I was by mm-hmm. myself on maternity leave, being like, I can't wait for him to get back, And literally the minute my partner would get back, I'd be like throwing the baby basically at him and genuinely sometimes leaving the house to go for like a a walk and thinking, I don't know if I really want to go back. So Mm -hmm. it was it was it was a really tough time. And the best thing I did was have a conversation with my partner and said, yeah, this is this is not this is not going well. Let's face it. I think I'd like to go back to work sooner than I'd originally planned. And he was brilliant. He was like, of course, like, I totally get why you'd want to do that. You love what you do. I can really see how this is, you know, we've got a tricky baby on our hands here. This is this is not easy. Was incredibly supportive. And I felt really relieved. And I don't know why I thought he'd have any of the reaction, but it's just quite a hard thing to admit. Mm. And so the best thing I did was then uh, quite quickly go back to work part-time. So I just got a bit of a break, was feeling back connected to all my, you know, work and things that I really mm. loved. And then actually... Also, the thing that I was very grateful at that time was got some really good support from my family, who sort of dropped everything to help, which awesome you know amazing. makes a massive difference. But yeah, it was—it's certainly not a time that I would want to repeat in mm-hmm. a hurry, and it, you know, it definitely made me think a bit about work and just how important it was. And even now, it's really interesting. Like people are never being malicious, but say people on my streets at uh, home where I live, they'll they'll often ask me, they'll be like, "Oh, do, do you work part time?" Um, and I'll say, oh, no, no, I work full time. And they'll sort of tilt their head to one side and be like, oh, it's a shame. And I'll think, well, not not for me, it's not. I absolutely love working full. I'd work more if I could. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like some of the, you do have to get over some of the stigma and reactions yeah. that I think society have. And it's a bit like when people say, oh, you know, do you think you'll have another one? I'm like, absolutely not. Mm. <laughs> you know, And, of course, you never say never. But I'm very happy having one. And Max is older now, and like I feel like we've got a much better relationship. It's that thing of, I think you always love them, but I think I've only just started to like him, mm-hmm. being honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm now going, the last thing I want to do now is have another one. Now I've just started to like the actual one that I've got. So even there, the stigma attached to just having one and going, oh, well, now I'm going to run my own business. And actually, I'm I would rather prioritise a successful business and have one kid than I would um have another but but it's so tricky because everyone is different I think that's a really important point is everyone is different but it
0: is hard it's a hard Mm. time well thank you so much for sharing that because I think we're starting to get get there with the the honesty behind what it's actually like when your whole life does change like it's actually pretty normal to find something hard when it totally like your life just kind of shifts and yeah. you're you're meant to take on a new identity when actually you have as women especially we are put in boxes and we all are way more complicated than people yeah. think
1: And i think i just wasn't very good at it <laughs> so i think i spent all this time talking to people about use your strengths and there's a lot of practicalities that come with like having a tiny baby and i'm not particularly practical so even stupid stuff like i couldn't do as baby grows up you know, I was rubbish at working out the poppers. I remember honestly being stuck in a um, car park, couldn't get his car seat off the pram, so couldn't get into the car. And I was like, I actually don't know what I'm going to do. I don't. I don't think I can do this. I lost the car once because I couldn't remember where I'd parked and it. And you're probably on like no sleep. Yeah, and so you've had no. And all it's quite a practical thing. So I think, do you know what? It sort of brought out all of the things that I'm not very good at. And you're having to live that kind of day in, day out. And you've sort of lost all the stuff that you're really good at. And then also just accepting that that's okay. Yeah. Someone, um the other thing I'm very grateful for in that time, a previous boss wrote a letter to me, actually old school, during that time and said, oh, Sarah, I'm sort of surprised. She was kind of going, I've not really heard from you. And that's kind of not, not like you. And then she wrote to me about her experiences and how hard she had found it. And I found that. So powerful to actually hear from somebody who I admired and really trusted that, yeah, you know, it wasn't exactly the same experience, but something similar. She'd gone and she'd sort of taken a bit of a punt on it because I'd not told her. Wow, I yeah. think she'd had a bit of a hint from Helen that oh, Sarah's probably. I think she'd probably say, "Oh, Sarah's finding a bit tough," and then actually this person had gone, "Oh, do you know what? I just want her to f- appreciate that that's okay. It's okay mm. to find it tough." And someone reminded me that being a parent is not just about the first year of your baby's life, which I found incredibly reassuring. God, it's true, isn't it? It's like <laughs> they're not going to be a baby for like no. That? It feels like a lifetime at the time, yeah, but I um, bet. yeah, but, you know, it it does. It's well for me, certainly. It got better the older he
0: gets, and and you know, and because he stopped being sick and all of those kind of things. And but, did you find any anything helpful, like in terms of? online or was was your support all very much sort of more people close to you um
1: probably people closer to me i found nct hard because as somebody who's more introverted i don't make friends quickly or easily and i get quite nervous meeting new people so nct really wasn't for me and i'm actually always really envious where people have brilliant nct groups and people go on holiday with them and I remember trying really hard to kind of go, oh, I should go to these NCT meetups. And I would turn up and Max would just cry his eyes out and be sick everywhere. And I was like, I can't, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, you know, it was like too, too overwhelming, I think, for me. So... My best support was the people probably, like, very close to me. I think probably around that time, I discovered things like Mother Pucker. Mm. Um, so Anna Whitehouse, who does things like Flex Appeal. And she presents a pretty realistic view of parenthood, I would say. And she does loads of really good stuff on Instagram. And I found things like that quite reassuring. Um, But you can sort of get lost in a bit of a hole online, I think, especially because Max you can go was... go both ways. Comfort. Yeah, because he was sick and stuff. And you, um, we kept, like, trying to, like, research, like, what was making him sick, what might might help him what different drugs could we try and ultimately it was a time thing but that feels really frustrating I think I'd spend you know lots of time at work thinking there's not much I can't figure out given the time that's one of the things that I'm good at is thinking right if I know what I need to aim for I'm good at kind of figuring out a plan to get there and then I'll work hard to make it happen it turns out that like babies don't really like work like that you just Mm -hmm. have to be a bit You have to sort of go with it a bit more. They're very unpredictable. They're very spontaneous. Don't really respond to like a blueprint or a strategy. All the things I'm very good at. And so, yeah, I think it was... Someone described it to me in hindsight as I think I had like the perfect storm. And, you know, crikey, people have much worse and much harder situations that they have to kind of navigate. And I'm kind of full of admiration for people who do that. But I think for me at that time, it was definitely something I'd not experienced before. That kind of moment of all of these things almost lining up that didn't that didn't work for me and then really missing work and all the things that I kind of really cared about. And actually, it took me quite a long time to talk about it. Mm. So I think I only probably took me a year and a half to two years and spoke about it for the first time in a very small um, evening event. And I wasn't even sure about doing that, actually. Really thought about it. I was on the tube beforehand thinking, do I, don't I? And, and talked about other things and then did do it. And that was the thing that everybody spoke to me about. Mm. That was the thing that resonated. And I don't think it was that specific um, situation. I think it was the point around we all have tough moments around resilience, how you come back from that, kind of what, what you learn from that process. It doesn't have to be about having a kid. It can be ev- anything. Mm. People have very tough things happen in their life. And I think that one evening gave me the confidence that it is useful to talk about yeah. um because you know it's really hard you don't want to be and i don't want to be negative about having kids or anything like that and i know loads of people who love it and mm-hmm. have got lots of them but equally i think it is helpful
0: perhaps i or i hope it's helpful to to be honest about my experience totally and that and that's why um i wanted to ask you about it i know it's mentioned in the book in in a way around sort of becoming a parent and, and work and, and they, they they do mix in together very closely but yeah. I feel like a lot of books leave that out so that's amazing that you did. Um, I just wondered just quickly on that um, it just come to me to ask you but is there anything on the flip side that that has taught you in terms of helping you back again with your work? Ooh, I that's a really
1: good question. I think it's taught me that how much I love work I think it's remind it I think I always knew I enjoyed what I did but I think that really helped me to experience and also that that's okay, like to accept that. That it brings um, you joy. Yeah, that it brings me joy and that I know I will be a better parent and a better mum to Max if I'm also doing things that I love. So I think accepting that and accepting that what that looks like for me is different to loads of other people and that's that's okay because like you say sometimes you have to put up with a tiny bit of people being a bit judgmental sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally I think the other thing is just um the bit I find hard actually is I'm quite productive um in terms of during the day sort of between sort of 6 and 7 or 8 p.m and that's exactly the time that you that I need to go and pick up Max from nursery and so that's been really interesting because I sort of begrudge that a little bit because i go well that's the time i really want to be working ideally i'd like to go and see him for about you know 1:30 till 3 p.m when i'm a lot i'm a lot less productive but that's not the way it works and so i've also had to learn i think to adapt a little bit to think right okay well if that's a time where i know i do some of my best work how do i make sure that a couple of the nights of the week that my partner picks at max which he does um we definitely kind of share all of our childcare together And if I need to work during those times, where's the best place for me to work? It might not be at home. Perhaps I'll stay a bit later at work, one or two nights of the week. So I think I've learned to be more adaptable. And I think within kind of squiggly careers, that is a really helpful skill because There's kind of change that we're in control of and there's change that happens to us. And I think the more you can kind of flex your adaptability, the better you're able to kind of navigate the things that you see coming, but also things that you don't see coming too.
0: Yes, I love that. And and also, I know that I'm probably putting words into the situation, but it's actually, I think, incredibly feminist to put yourself kind of on the map of importance yes. in your own yeah, life yeah. and actually for so long for, for all of history women have had to have a role and that in many ways has never been really been a choice and so mm. it's like to put yourself first or even just even a priority not the best priority or the most priority but like a priority yeah. is um, very powerful
1: yeah I think I definitely put myself first during every week some of the time And I think actually, as you say, it's not something I see or hear about from very many people that we work with. Uh, Lots of uh, women in particular, and actually particularly women with children, put themselves last so consistently. Mm -hmm. You know, Some of that can be to do with things like confidence gremlins. But I think I really see the benefits of knowing that in, in every week, so not just occasionally putting yourself first as in, oh, once a quarter having one day to yourself or something. Actually, every week, I think there are definitely moments I could point to where I think, and I, I wouldn't call it being selfish, either. I just go, I'm giving myself the opportunity to kind of get mm. joy from whatever it is I do. Even if it means sometimes um, going to do an exercise class. And that means that that night I don't put Max to bed. I think that's OK. Mm.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. Uh, that was brilliant. And um, I've really enjoyed meeting you and following all your work. For anyone listening who wants to um, obviously buy the book, firstly, but kind of follow <laughs> what you're doing. So it feels like the book is just one part of it.
1: Yes, so um, we have our Squiggly Careers podcast that we do every week, and it's all things work-related, so from things like microaggressions to how to get promoted, how to ask for a pay rise. We're on episode about 120 now, uh, so a little bit behind control out delete, but you know, catching up slowly <laughs> but surely. And if there is ever a topic that people want us to cover that we've not, we kind of take requests. And then once a month we interview somebody who we think is making work better kind of in their own way, so doing some really pioneering work in that. So you can listen to us um, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram just at Amazing If. And I think the best reason to follow us on Instagram is Helen, my co-founder, does a daily careers tip on Instagram stories. And she has this like fan base of people who every day tune in to watch her do these daily career tips. So if you like that kind of thing and you're interested in Careers and career development. I think any of those things are hopefully will be useful. And apart from the book, the podcast, and Instagram, obviously everything is free, so hopefully quite accessible too.
0: Yeah, amazing. Thank you so so much. No problem. Love you. Chat and to you. And happy new year. You too.